And we're off. <laughs> Jinx. Not really. Same time. Same Still got to buy me a Coke. This, do kids do that anymore? I don't think they do. I don't know, but this guy does. This guy. You owe me, you owe me a, a Diet Coke. Do you drink Diet Coke? Oh, too much of it. Isn't that the stuff that you can dissolve pennies in? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do it, there's something, if you do it like in the toilet, it explodes. Oh, with like a Mentos or something. We have kids that listen to this podcast. That's true. Yeah. Kids don't, don't do that. Ideas. Definitely frowned upon. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Diet Coke guy. You know, what's funny is with sports, I was just telling someone this yesterday with sports, I didn't have a soda from like high school until I was 25. It was like, soda will be the end of you as an athlete. So you just like totally eliminated it. And then it hit my mouth when I was 25. Game over. I, I for sure funny. have, um, like, especially once I start, if I'm at a restaurant, I'll probably have three. I'm just like, keep it coming. No big deal. Three Diet Cokes. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that surprises me. I don't, I, I kind of went the opposite though. I never went back. So I, I stopped drinking soda or in Colorado, I think we're more of the, you know, they do the States where, where is it soda? Where is it pop? And where is everything Coke? Apparently there's some States where it's like, if you, you want to order seven up, you say, I'll, I'll have a, I need a Coke and they'll say, what kind? And you say a seven up. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. But in Denver, it was growing up, everybody said pop. But I can't get our, behind it. Our cross, I think soda is a better, just sounds better. I don't know. Yeah. But my cross country coach in high school got me off soda and I never went back. I haven't looked back. The only time I ever have a soda, I have a, I'll have a ginger ale on a plane. I don't know why, but it's one of those weird habits I have. Okay. On a plane, I'll have a ginger ale. Yep. But I almost never fly. And then secondly, I will, if I'm having like a mixed drink every once in a while, but pretty rarely even then. Back when I was first, would first have a mixed drink, I would have a, um, like a, a whiskey seven. Oh, okay. But I don't really do that anymore because it's a, it's a waste of bourbon. <laughs> and now your, uh, your soda is just when, like when you go to a restaurant, you, you love the Shirley Temple. Dude, you're not supposed <laughs> to tell me about that. Gosh, here we are. Typical us so far into this. Yeah. Almost. Uh, it's almost gala time. That's, that's right. Yeah. Man, we are in the thick of it. We're a little, uh, we're pressing. January 15th, school gala. We have an exciting announcement. It's officially, I was kind of uh, in need of trying to lock this down. But we, you're going to get baptized. That's right. On stage. For, Actually, that would be a great. For $1,000. For $1,000. <laughs> that's against Canon Law. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but, and kind of my shout out today, um, our keynote speaker this year is going to be Heidi Ganahl. And for those of you who do not know her, um, she actually founded um, the franchise Camp Bow Wow. Her story's remarkable. It's pretty crazy. But she started this doggy daycare scenario. Camp Bow Wow. And turned it into this. Right. Turned it into like an ultimate powerhouse franchise. Um, was very, very successful. And pretty much, especially as a woman CEO, got okay. um, a lot of notoriety. Okay. And then she was, uh, ran as a Republican <sighs> and became one of the Republican CU regents. Um, which, you know, 
all things CU and the CU system is a tough thing to do. CU, if you live outside of Colorado, is the University of Colorado. That's we right. We call it CU. Which is very Because it just sounds, I mean, I know in California, they're like, it's like UC, yep. B, or UC, Barbara, San Diego or UC, whatever. Yeah. SD, but here in Colorado, we just say CU, even though it's the University of Colorado. That's right. Although, it, yeah, University of Colorado at LA, whatever it was. Um, so, and then most importantly, so now she's going to be um, running for governor and um, kind of the whole, the whole reason why I loved her. I heard her speak recently and she actually tried to start a classical school up in towards Boulder and she had That's worked. Right, tell me that, yeah. yeah. She had worked with Golden View Classical to start this, her own classical school. She's a big advocate of classical. And we, there's, if you don't, haven't heard of it, there's a, a college in Michigan called Hillsdale. That's right. And Hillsdale, honestly, right now, if I was uh, going to recommend anyone to go to a college anywhere, that's the one I would recommend. Even above, I think, you know, we have great Catholic schools like Benedictine and Steubenville, the Franciscan University of Steubenville, Ohio, Thomas Aquinas College, Christendom. There's, there's some great Catholic schools out there, Wyoming Catholic. But honestly, that would be my first recommendation to people is go to Hillsdale. It's a classical college. And, it, and the reason I bring it up is because Patrick mentions Golden View. Yep. Well, Golden View is a high school that's uh, founded essentially by Hillsdale College in Michigan. Very, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty awesome. She tried to start it up in uh, the Northwest towards Boulder um, and was denied. And so she's running this election pretty much on um, school of choice and Love the classical model and is just really an advocate for um, parents should be in charge of their children, which yeah. seems so basic yet is against the norm now. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I do think there's a limit to how far parents can go, right? Like I, th I do think the government has, just like most rights that exist, rights are not generally infinite, Yeah, right? You, you don't have a right to teach your kids to an infinite degree anything you want, right? Like there are standards. Yeah. You can't, if you want to start a school where you say, we don't believe that math is legitimate. The, the question, as with so many things in life is, where's the line? Right. And I think a lot of us today feel this way. I certainly feel this way is that the government has, has really overstepped its bounds and said, we know better than you do. And we're going to make you teach kids what we think they should be taught. And, and it just stinks of agenda. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks, well, the, you know, everybody tries to pretend they have no agenda. But anyway, so with Heidi, I, I'm a big believer in school choice and I'm a yep. big believer in classical education. But I think at, at the heart of things is that rights that we possess are not rights that were given to us by the government. The Constitution of the United States recognizes this. Rights are something that are given by God. They're built into the way the world works. Yep. And a government can't give them to you. The government can only recognize them. Totally. Right. And they yep. can defend them and protect yep. them. But the government can't give them to you. That, that's and in, this is a whole we could we're never going to end talking about Heidi. <laughs> not going to get to our topic, but I will say I think for people who politically are a little more leaning to the right, this is one of the big problems we have with the left these days. Is it feels like anything people just want, they say, "Well, it's my right." Yeah, and and it fails to recognize that rights rights are not something that we just can make up out of thin air, like the right to an abortion. There is no such right. Totally. What, what a right needs to be is something that's inscribed in human nature. Whether you believe in God or not, it has to be a part. The, the reason we believe in the right to life, for instance, 
is because it's obvious that a human person has a dignity that's above a tree or even an animal. And it's a moral violation to rob someone of the right to life. But that's not because a government came up with that and passed a piece of legislation. It's because it's inherent in what a human person is. So Totally. So that's who Heidi Ganelt is. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, she is um, fascinating. I've always just looked up to her. Um, Did you know her when you were at CU? No, she actually, it's funny. So I've been getting to know her and that, hence I had to kind of build that together as a keynote. But um, she did a lot of work with Bus for Life, which is the board I'm on. Yes, She's been a uh-huh. big some supporter from the beginning. And it um, it's a board at CU. CU, unfortunately, has had uh, eight guys from the football team in the, since 2002 commit suicide. That's so tragic. So the Wasn't board is- Wasn't Rashawn Salam one of those? Yeah, that's right. That's, he was the yeah. highest, highest been trophy winner from CU. That's, that's right. It's just so tragic. Two, yeah, he was one. There was another pretty high profile um, suicide. But uh, so yeah, it's, it's designed to help ex-athletes from across the board, not just football. But Heidi's been a big supporter. So I've always kind of crossed paths and have looked up to her just- um, for all that she's done and she's super involved in the business school and, and whatnot. And so, uh, I'm stoked on it. She has, uh, I mean, you could just type her in and you'll find so much information on her, yeah. but, and watch the videos cause she's fired up, passionate, um, has a uphill battle obviously to run against Polis. Um, but you know, things flipped in Virginia and it could be the year to, I don't know, make some changes, whether, you know, but it's not about that at the gala. It's more, um, the power of education and yeah. the school. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. That is great. It's, yeah. And a book recommendation with that one. I've, I've always, it's always been on my like list of books to read, but I just finally started it is, um, one of the great historians of the uh, 20th century is a guy named Christopher Dawson. He's okay. a British guy. He's a Catholic and he, he's written a bunch of books. I've read probably four of his books, uh, but he, his most famous book is the one I've never read. And it's called the crisis of Western education. Mm. And he so a little bit about Dawson is that he kind of a cool thing. This book that he wrote crisis of Western education, it came out of uh, some lectures and teaching he gave. He was appointed in the sixties. I want to say in like 1967, I forget exactly, but he was appointed the um, chair of Catholic studies at Harvard. Wow. And he was an internationally recognized, brilliant historian. And he wrote a book about what is, what does the word education mean? And today this, and this is one of the things we would love. Hey, if you're out there, you want a good cause to support our school is just, it's something that's seeking to reclaim the way education always was. Classical right. education today sounds like this kind of niche program. <laughs> you know, it's the latest kind of hip thing or something. And yep. what magnet, what does that mean? Classical, all it is, is what education always has been until very recently in history. And so Christopher Dawson traces that history and talks about the crisis. And basically, to put it in a really quick nutshell, education didn't all throughout human history, going all the way back really to the time of... Um, the Academy in Athens of Plato, Plato's Academy, all the way back to that education was always much more than how do I get a job? How do I perform a skill? Those things are good, but education actually meant how do I become a fully alive human being? 
And if you don't know how to think clearly, if you don't know how to engage the great questions of humanity, uh, your life isn't going to be as full, even if you're really successful financially. And Mm -hmm. so we lost that. And the reason we lost that was because we despaired, uh, Western society despaired that it was possible to know truth about humanity and what it means to be a human. And we basically got to a place of, well, there really isn't any truth. So let's just make sure we can make money and do things scientifically. And that's, and that's why when I went to college, I don't know if you were this way, when I went to college, I didn't even know what like, like the humanities or the liberal arts. I had no idea what those were. It just sounded to me like political liberalism, Yeah, which it's not. Uh, unfortunately, it's infiltrated a lot of schools, but that's another podcast. Um, so I went to business school because why do you go to get an education so you can make money? That's right. And get a job. And I was like, well, I just want to get married and marry some smoking, beautiful wife who's amazing and raise kids. Yep. That didn't go so well. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You took the, uh, the whole counter back to classical. Like you went focused from business school and you went the, uh, you really went for it. Well, and even then though, I didn't know what education was. So yeah, totally. A friend of mine, uh, Dr. Ben Akers, who I honestly, I don't see very much, but he's a great guy. He, uh, he has a great line where he says, you know, the word education, he just talks about the etymology of it. And he talks about how it means to lead and to lead oh, out. Interesting. Of. And so he talks about how education means to lead someone out of darkness into the light. Um, but today we've despaired that we can do that because there is no truth. And so all we do today is uh, train kids so they can go to a better school to make more money. Yep. And they become, you know, and again, none of that's bad, but kids end up becoming cogs in the machinery of just business. And I'm not anti-business, but there's just more to life than that. Yeah. You know, what's um, kind of even in my faith journey, and at this point, maybe we just make this a podcast topic. We can still talk about what I thought. Yeah. uh, Because we can maybe piggybacks on it, but just a question. I mean. The problem I have looking back, I mean, I definitely went to all public schools, went to CU, did the exact same thing. I had no idea what I wanted to do or mm-hmm. study in college. And it right. was just like, well, when in doubt, get in the business school and then exactly what you said, make a lot of money afterwards. Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately. Um, and I've started to notice like the number one, the hardest question that I can ask myself is why? So, which is probably the best question too. hundred percent. Yeah. And all I've, what I've been noticing is that like all I've ever, um, been trained to do is regurgitate facts for a, you know, um, a goal that will come and go. And, um, you know, it's that classic, you finally reached a goal, you want to raise, and then you want a new raise. And you're kind of continually in that process. And we talk about all the time and, this is a journey of, of life. But then um, it really is. I heard someone the other day, I was listening to an audiobook, and um, he became a monk. And one of, um, when he got to his first like um, monastery, um, or, and, and he got there and he, someone was able to meditate for eight hours straight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he was an um, Indian monk. 
Yeah, um, like a Hindu. That's right. Hindu monk, yeah. And he had said to the head monk that was torn him around on like day one, he's like, he was fascinated with that. And he wanted to be able to do that. Yep. And the head monk said, do you want the result? Because you think it looks cool and is um, like, it is a big goal. Like it's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Or do you want the journey? Are you going to be able to enjoy the journey to get there? And if the end result is that, then so be it. And I thought that was a really interesting question of, mm. you know, you look at life just as results and you want that. And then it's never enough, Correct, but to actually yeah. enjoy that journey. And in that process, I've been just asking like, you know, you want these goals, but why? Or you, you have fear and to ask yourself, why do I have fear? And you're like, well, and you start to dwindle it down. But I find that process so hard um, especially just on my own reflection of my own life, um, that when I look at this classical model circling back here, um, it very much has that. And I see these kids on campus that I feel like they're just more mature than I am in the way that they think and process and evaluate things. And, um, it's not just about going to work at Facebook or Apple when they're done. Yeah. There's a great, something you said reminded me of, Oh, with the, the monk and the tour of like, are you looking for something that looks good or are you looking for the actual, you know, the journey, like you said, St. Thomas Aquinas has a line where he says joy is a byproduct. And so like for all of us and Aristotle says this, we just, we seek happiness naturally. Yeah. And we're always looking for happiness. Aquinas has a great line where with this joy is a byproduct. And what what he's talking about is that joy is the, is the effect of when we possess the good. But, but what Aquinas would say is that we don't look for joy. We shouldn't look for joy itself. We should look for what is good and joy arises from what is good. Mm. Yeah. And so for instance, a great example of this would be with your family. And so with Steph and Gianna, what you're called to do as a husband and a father is to love them. Right. And of course, all of us seek joy. We can't help but seek joy. But your joy in your life is going to be because you, in a certain, possess, you have to be careful, in a certain sense though, in a certain sense, you possess your wife and your daughter. And because of your relationship with them, joy arises from that. But you would love them. Right. And you will love them. You'll love Gianna even in, you know, times when it's hard. Uh, and so, so I, I think it's very insightful of Aquinas that we're not called merely to seek our own happiness. We're called to pursue things that are good. Totally. And when we do that, and we do it the right way, the right time, the right manner, then we experience what we call joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause especially with even just that process of seeking joy, then it becomes um, kind of relative at that point. So you finally feel like, okay, if I, I will be joyful when I reach this point and then you finally reach it at that point and you look around and somebody else is, you know, in your eyes more joyful. So it's like a continual um, process of trying to just reach this pinnacle of joy. Yep. If that's your focus. 
Yeah. And this is, I mean, this, these are deep waters, but yeah, I mean, but this is the common experience, right? This is what everybody knows. Right. And you know, it more the more you age, I think, uh, that when you're like a teenager, you really believe it. You're like, I'm, if, if I get that girl to go out with me, mm -hmm. then I really am going to be happy. If I get this car, you know, for you, maybe it was like, if we win this, the state championship, Yep. you know, whatever it might be. But I think the more we age, the more we really come to know at a deeper level that, uh, in this life, and here's another Aquinas line. So maybe today's podcast is sponsored by St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Aquinas has another great line about this where he says, and it's going to sound depressing, but I'm a melancholic, so I'm happy when I'm sad and I'm sad when I'm happy. <laughs> but Aquinas says, perfect happiness in this life is impossible. Okay. Uh, but a reasonable happiness is possible. And he's, he's building on St. Augustine here, right? Augustine begins the confessions, that famous line, uh, you have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Mm. And here's a question. What made me, the first time I read this from St. Thomas, when he says, perfect happiness in this life is, is not possible because the only thing that can, can make us perfectly happy is to, the, the human heart and the human mind, they're not infinite but they have an orientation. They're turned towards things that are infinite. So this is why things that are finite can't ultimately satisfy us. Mm, yeah. Right. Like uh, relationships are the most satisfying things because human beings are the closest things in this world that, that we can get to something that is infinite, which is God. But, you know, and gosh, I could just talk all day about this, but the, uh, we tend to have a false image of God, right? Because we just do all of us have a, have a image of God that's false. And I think, and maybe this is just my experience, but I, th I think this is pretty universal is we just think God's boring. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so people are like, dude, why go to heaven? Like, well, I guess, you know, if you go to heaven, well, I'll just, and when people picture heaven, they're like, well, I'll just picture it full of all my favorite things. Times, right. times infinity. And then I guess God will be there too. Yeah. Totally. And that's how, that's all we can think of. Cause we think that God, we don't experience him as beautiful and compelling and exciting, but in all honesty, God, the best thing you can think of in this world and think of the best things you've ever experienced. God is infinitely better, more beautiful, more captivating than any of those things. And I actually think this is one of the central tasks of the Christian life is that we're so blind to God's infinite goodness and beauty and just all these things. We just think it's kind of like, well, I went to mass and father Brian was kind of boring. So God must be boring. Yep. Don't you think? A hundred percent. Would you say, um, this is pretty interesting, but I guess starting with the question, would you say that in order to really feel closest to God, God calls us to service? He does, but I don't think first. I think okay. it's secondary to contemplation, which means to see with love. Yeah. So, so like in, I don't want to cut you off in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Yep. Uh, remain in me and I, in you, uh, if you do not remain in me, you will not bear fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So the Christian service is really, really important, but I would say it's, it's kind of like that line where Aquinas says joy is a byproduct. 
primarily, and this goes all the way back to classical education, God doesn't primarily want you to do something. He wants, except for, he wants you to be in union with him. Yeah. To love him. And when we love more in union with God and when we love him, that's when our actions actually go from being sterile to being fruitful. Everything changes when you, when you are in union with God, because here's the caricature. It's like, it's like so religious sisters. You guys like the sisters of life. Steph is obsessed. Yes. Yeah. And I've gotten it. I mean, they're awesome. You're not but. obsessed. You're, you're like an eight. She's I didn't, an 11. Well, I didn't know. <laughs> they were like crucial in Steph's journey at CU. Yeah. And she's so close with all of them. But I mean, literally up until three years ago, I had no idea who they were. Um, so I, I mean, I love them, but yeah, Steph is, I will credit Steph for that relationship. Yeah. It's like sister. I have a friend who joined the sisters of life, sister, Mary Casey. Um, it's hard for me to call her that her given name is Shannon Gunning. Why do you, why do you, yeah. Why the name change in religious life? Because, uh, sorry for all the ADD today, folks. I know. <laughs> but the, the name change has to do with, so in the Bible, Oh, names, Simon to, yeah, yeah, changes okay. of names signify a change fundamentally in the identity of the person. So something, an encounter with God transforms people. Wow. Okay. And so cool. the easiest example, right, is Simon becomes Peter Yep. through his encounter with Christ. And so religious life, sisters, what happens is they're like, you, you're really called to leave your old life behind as all of us are. Yep. But, you know, consecrated and religious, you know, people, they, they literally leave their whole life behind. My friend Shannon, she, her whole life was in Colorado. Her parents are here. Her sister, Casey, that's what her, her religious name, she asked for that name because her sister, her twin sister, Casey, uh, Casey has a, I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I don't think I am, but I, Casey, I believe has uh, Down syndrome. Uh, and she's Shannon's twin. And, and of course, Casey is a tremendous gift to her family. And when Shannon entered religious life, she, she asked for that to be a part of her name. And so the wow. order granted it. And so her, in honor of her twin sister, she's now sister Maria Casey and just a wonderful woman. I miss Shannon. Uh, but she's in New York now serving single moms and serving the cause of life, which is great. So interesting. Um, I've always wondered that, but <clears throat> Oh, but I was going to say really quick. So let me finish yeah. that on the sisters. So, so Jesus, your question, right, was about um, service. Does God yep. call us a service? So, so here's, here's the image I would use for this, is that um, a common anecdote among Catholics, and it's true, is if you just said, hey, you know what? We've got a problem in society. We've got a bunch of pregnant mothers. Yep. And what are we going to do about them? And you could, if, if the government wasn't so pro-abortion, but you could imagine just a secular government that was kind of at least neutral on the question of abortion should yeah. be pro-life, but, but you could imagine a bunch of just social workers, yep. not that they're bad people. They oftentimes have great intentions, but imagine the way a religious sister interacts with a woman who's, let's just say, let's just say a 17 year old girl who's pregnant, is poor feels like her only option is to, is to have an abortion. Yep. I'm sure social workers could do some great work with them, but if you had to choose who you want that girl to, to meet and to love her through that situation, would you choose a government employee 
or would you choose a sister of life? Me personally, yeah. sister of life. Yeah. Why? There's that question. That's their passion and dedication. Okay. I feel like. But what about what if you had a government worker that's passionate and dedicated to that? But I feel like the bottom line comes into play. Like your government government workers has to be there from one to two, and then they go to the next, um, you know, next case. And uh, I feel like religious life puts you in a place of just being present, no matter how long that takes. Yeah. To a certain extent. And I think, and so the point I would get at, I think that's true what you're saying for sure. I would push it a little bit further, I think, and say the reason I want a sister of life with that 17 year old girl is not because of what that sister does that's different from a government worker. They might do a lot of the same things. Right. It's because of who they are. Totally. Okay. And so yeah. the government worker, again, best of intentions, but a sister of life, you know, makes all of us priests look like chumps. Yeah. I get up at six every day. I do my holy hour every day. You know, I pray, I work hard. I do all these things. Um, the sisters of life, right? They're up at like, probably like three thirty or something insane like that. <laughs> and you know that that sister doesn't just, she doesn't just have training on how to handle situations. The religious sister of life has a relationship with the love of the infinite God. Wow. And so that person, it's not that they're necessarily going to do different like physical actions with these girls, but they're going to carry the love of Jesus Christ inside of them. And that's, so that's why I said, and I don't even know why I asked the question of like, you know, service. But I think primarily as Christians, right, right, our first duty is not to do something, it's to be someone. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, so I, <laughs> I'm going to butcher some of the kind of facts to this, but there was, a, again, in the audiobook I'm listening to, he cites a study that was done at a college campus. And um, it started with, they had all the kids in the classroom and they read uh, the Good Samaritan story. Okay. Okay. Look, uh, what chapter is that in Luke? 11, I want to say. Anyway, keep going. Not sure. Um, and the assignment was to read, understand, and then they have to give a talk about the importance of the Good Samaritan story. Okay. And his action of um, helping someone in need. Sure. And so they study it, they do this, and then each kid or each student has to one by one leave the classroom, walk down the hall and go present in front of the teachers, whoever's going to listen to it. Okay. What they did though was, so the whole premise is about the good Samaritan story. And then in the hallway, they placed an actor laying on the floor, laying on the floor. Basically it is so obvious that they need help. Yeah. And it was an overwhelming number. And I forget the stat. It was like 80% of the kids Just were so in. focused on their result and what they were going to say. They walked by the person on the ground and, and didn't even know or was like, no, I don't have time to stop. Right. I got to go give my talk. And little did they know that was the whole purpose of, you know, there was no speech in the other room. Right. But I found that fascinating mm -hmm. and how often um, that happens in real life. Yeah. It's all to all of us. Right. Yeah. And I do think that's tied to, and that's, that's, that's a great story. That's very cool. 
but I think that's tied to what, what, to the point about before you're doing something, it's about that union with God. Yeah. Because I think what the church would tend to say, you know, and different great saints and thinkers through history is that you contemplation, right? That, that it's a contemplation's Latin. The Greek word for that is theoreo is the verb. And so what that word means, it means to see, but it means not just like the normal word in Greek to see is blepo. There's other words like horao uh, in Greek, uh, edu is like behold. But um, theoreo, not 100% all the time, but theoreo, the distincting mark of, of that word, it, it means to see at a deeper level. Okay. It means to perceive. So you could, in this example, right, everyone physically saw that person. Yep. But something in them was unable to see at a deeper level the humanity, the, the, the absolute need of that person or the image of God in them. And so that Theoreo is about that. Theoreo is about being able to see the way that God sees. And that ties to the, that point of, as Christians first were called not to do something, but to be someone. And that's integrally related to the act of sight. Wow. Yeah. And so a sister of life or the, or a, a Christian dad who has united his heart to Jesus, what happens is your blindness begins to be taken away. Yep. And it doesn't mean that you're physically blind, right? It means that you can't see just like these kids walking down the hallway. And I'm, you know, we're all guilty of this. I certainly am. But that's so much of being a Christian. We always think I got to go do something. I need to do more. I need to do this and that. And sometimes we do. Right. But, but the greatest thinkers of Catholic history and the greatest saints and mystics, they all say the same thing. They all say you got the order wrong. They will all tell you that before you go do things, the, the, the first thing you have to do is the harder work of, and we, we've talked about in the podcast, but of silencing yourself, of learning how to pray and to be in union with God. And this is why Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yep. Right. So, so a government agency might be able to provide housing. But if I, again, so if I had like someone I really cared about and they're on the verge of homelessness or something terrible happens, I, I don't want them to go to government housing. I want them to go to Marisol Health. Yeah. I want them to go to Catholic Charities because there's something fundamentally different about the, the kind of people who are running those places. Yeah. And what we had touched on to begin this whole thing is that we all aspire for the joy, right? Like joy or happiness, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. But it's so interesting and the dynamics and that example being the, you know, the student that, and how often do we do that too? At least for myself, you know, you read scripture and you're like, oh, that's a cool story. Like, that's great. And then literally two minutes later, it's like out the window of, contemplation you like you don't live it you don't embody it um and then but in one hand the the student that's going to walk by someone laying on the ground that needs their help yeah is going to go get that result and let's say they crush the exam but then they're on to the next exam yeah and they're on to this next the next thing and i would argue 
that by actually, and not that I have done it or would, and you know, I hope I would, but the true joy, they think the joy is going to come from getting an A on that result, but the true joy would actually be helping yep. that individual on the ground. Yeah. And this is, I mean, these are, these are great topics. I think something I would say too, is anybody who knows me, you know, if you had to guess my political affiliation, you would certainly know that I lean to the right in terms of American politics. But here's a critique I think is very legitimate about Republicans in general. Um, is that they tend, they tend to want, and it's not just Republicans. I think Democrats do this as well, but I do think Republicans are guilty of this. They tend to measure a person's life and the goodness they achieve economically. Yeah. So they say, you know, you'll, you'll hear. So I, I generally in a modified way, believe in free markets and capitalism in a modified way. The problem is, is, you know, you, you'll hear these arguments and people say, well, the, the free market system has freed more people from poverty, from abject poverty than any, any other kind of system on earth. And I tend to be sympathetic to that argument, but the problem is, is that at the same time, I would argue we have corrupted the human soul in Western society because we think happiness is about the size of your bank account. And so actually what, and so, so the critique of, of a lot of people on the right, I think is we have reduced the human person to financial success. Now I think, you know, abject poverty is an evil thing and we should bring people out of that. But we have created what, what Balthazar called the anima technica vacua. Don't you love that? What? That's going to be, you're not going to get tattooed. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's, it's Latin. Anima is soul. Uh, technica, like technical. And vacua means vacuous. So it's or empty. So, so what Balthazar would say is technology came to dominate our culture so much that uh, people are, they, they just worship technology. And so what happens is we have all the technology we want. We have empty souls. Wow. And I honestly think that's a legitimate critique of the free market and capitalistic. Not that, you know, and we're probably gonna get a lot of emails on this one. Communism is worse by far. Right. And I don't believe in socialism. I don't believe in those things. I think no economic system is perfect. But for me, this comes all the way back to the question we started with today about education. And so the purpose of education, people think it's like, you need to have a nice house. Yeah. And here's the thing. God didn't create you for a nice house. God didn't create you for four cars. He did not create you for a mountain home. He didn't create you for two vacations a year in nice places. That is so shallow. And we all, we all kind of will pay lip services, but brothers and sisters, that is so shallow. What, what, what education is meant to do is, and many of you have heard me speak of him. What education is supposed to do when it's done right is produce men like Father Ray Goronsky. That's what education does when it's done right is it produces men and women who you can't even describe them because it's not that they own a lot of things, but that they are rich. Because Father Goronsky was like a complete human being. 
He was incredibly deep. He was compassionate. He's the kind of guy who would stop for the, the guy in the hallway. He, he graduated summa cum laude, the first of his class, ahead of Clarence Thomas at Holy Cross College. Wow. Uh, but he wasn't just smart. He was complete. And not all of us are going to be equally smart. But what education's meant to do, uh, there's a great line, Hillsdale College, another plug for them. There's a little book um, that I read from their, uh, um, their kind of Western Civ department. And they're talking about what classical education is. And they, there's, a, there's a great line where it says, modern universities prepare our children to earn a dollar. And so they can all go out and earn money. The problem is they say, none of them know how to spend it. <laughs> and I thought that was such a great one-liner. Yeah. Of, all these kids are like, man, they know, they know math and science. They know business. They know whatever, but they don't know what life's about. And they, and they, they, they may be technically gifted at certain skills, which is great. That's an important thing. But we have, we despaired about education in our culture, leading men and women to discover truth. That's fundamentally like, and the, the fundamental difference between modern education. And if you want to read this book about the crisis of Western education by Christopher Dawson, public enemy number one is a guy named John Dewey. Yeah. And John Dewey, the Dewey system, the Dewey decimal system, John Dewey transformed American education, uh, fundamentally to disbelieve in truth. Education is no longer about, there is something big and true and beautiful in the world. Education is we need workers who are competent. That's what he transformed American education into. And that's what all of us were raised with. Unless you go to our classical school here at our lady of Lords in Denver. And I, and I, Patrick and I joke about it, but I'm so jealous of our kids. I mean, they're, uh, we were going to talk about Mozart and music today. I was talking to Angie Woods who teaches music for us. And there's a quote from Plato where he talks about anyone who thinks that music is just kind of subjective opinion and taste is emphatically a fool and as someone who has been deceived. But music is clearly a gift from the gods to men that orders our soul so that we are become, right? Notice again, it's not just, just to, education is not doing something, it's becoming someone. So Plato says that music orders our soul. Think of it the opposite way. When you listen to, I don't know any of the bands out there now, but let's just go with Rage Against the Machine from my time. Yep. That does something to your soul. It makes you want to rage against the machine. That's right. Right? And, so, and not that that's evil or sinful or something, but if you think about it, music does things to our souls. And so Plato says that music is a tool that helps us to order our souls, to see the world rightly. That's what education's about. But anyway, so Angie Woods tells me, she's like, oh, I was like, I, was like, I love that quote from Plato because she quoted it in a talk she gave. I was like, I've always loved that quote. And she said, oh yeah, we give that to our eighth graders. And then they debate about it. <laughs> Right. And she's like, our eighth graders said, we have them debate and we split them up into teams and they debate the different sides of that point. And I'm just like, man, I am so jealous. Totally. I was just in eighth grade. I'm just sitting there listening to Pearl Jam because I don't think Rage Against the Machine was there yet. And I'm like, you know, singing Jeremy. Yo, no yeah. No idea what that song's even about. And yeah. It's so interesting. So then, um, 
from the whole person approach outside of, um, and it's not to say it's wrong, but is it possible to have that Garonsky, but let's say you're passionate about something other than um, really anything other than um, just religious life. Yep. Right. So can Which, that still exist? Yes. And how so? So I think, I think it goes back to joy as a byproduct. The other thing, the other thing I would say is money is a byproduct. Yeah. Like what you shouldn't pursue. And, and, and again, we, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but people who are wealthy, you have, you have your, you know, slime balls out there, I'm sure. But the, the people you and I have been privileged to know, they weren't pursuing money just purely. They might've been after money a little bit because none of us is perfect. But, but generally I think the way that we should, there's, you don't have to be even a Catholic or a Christian to be this way, but I think the best people in the world are people who are fascinated by things that are good. Yeah. And if you love things that are good, that leads to success, but it's a byproduct. Just like joy is a byproduct. That's right. Okay. You know, maybe you're someone who's fascinated by, uh, the way the, um, human, the basic structure of the human cell. Well, there's yeah. lots of different types of human cells, but, but you know, you're, you're in science. I, whenever we talk about science, I just feel like an idiot. Cause I just say stupid. I'm like, let's talk about the mitochondria. That's right. And I only know that word. I don't even know what a mitochondria is anymore, but maybe you're fascinated by that, by the endoplasmic reticulum. There it is. Which again, I have no idea what that is, but maybe that's fascinates you. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. I think we should be that way, but then our success in life should be a, something that flows out of that. And not something that is, I want to be Scrooge McDuck. Right. And I want to swim in money every day. Like you're going to, you're going to end up in the, the, the way God made the world. This is a fundamental insight about this. You want, you'll never be happy. Totally. And you won't live a good life. It's kind of one of those things where if you're pursuing money and you start to look at like, okay, who are the richest people? Well, then they're a doctor. And then therefore like, you're going to go study whatever you just said the endoplasmic reticulum. That thing and be the best, but not because you care about it. It's because you want to go achieve the money. Yeah. And fundamentally you have lost, and this is what classical education wants to say. You will have a profoundly disappointing life because you've missed the point. Yeah. You chased after smoke. You chased after an illusion. You went after the thing that didn't matter. Yep. Whereas other people actually pursued the thing that did. Wow. Oh, that's deep. Yeah. Well, folks, we do want to make a shameless plug for our school and our doula. Um, We're teaching this kind of stuff in our school and it's expensive. What's it cost to educate a kid? $7,800. Yeah. And we don't charge that much. Even the people who pay full tuition at our school don't charge. We don't charge that much. So we have to raise a bunch of money every year. That's Patrick's job. He's great at it. It's pretty wild. Yeah. There's like an $1,800 discount and then um, we have 42% of our families on tuition assistance. Yeah. So it's one of those things you look at the success that we've had, even in this uh, parish, but within the school, yep. you know, we've had two campuses, all this stuff. Everyone just assumes, oh, they're doing great. Yeah. But it's with every student we add means more money that needs to be raised. Yeah, and as we've grown, so even if, even if every kid paid full tuition, as we grow, we actually have to raise more money. That's right. for every kid, if they pay what we call full tuition, that's below the cost to educate by $1,800. Yep. So we did, we had to raise two grand essentially for every kid we add. And on top of that, you know, 
only um, f- only a little bit over fifty percent of our kids even pay the discounted price. Yeah, most of them are you know are not most, but a lot of them are underneath that. And so anyway, we would love for you to support our school. We always need help with that. We think it's a mission that matters. You can go to lordsdenver.org. Yep. Uh, we uh, always need help. So thanks for your support. That's right. Please email us questions, rant at lordsdenver.org. And yeah, we'll see you next week. See you next time.